This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Rev Covery. This is Justin, uh, just doing a little intro here for our great conversation that we're going to have later with a friend of the pod, friend personally of Sarah and myself, Heather Sanford. She is such a delight. You're going to love getting to know her, getting to know her story a little bit, and it's going to be a really good one. But before we get to that, I just want to say it's a story that's you know very authentic, very honest, very open about um, what what it was really like for Heather. And Heather's a member of our Discord community. If you are really needing some conversations that are open and honest and authentic about this thing that we're calling Revcovery, this awakening, if you will, to the fact that maybe there is life beyond the stained glass windows, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a super volunteer, whether you're just a person in church, like, hey, what is going on here? Or how do I do this differently? We would invite you to be a part of our Discord. Uh, you can access it via patreon.com slash revcovery, R-E-V-C-O-V-E-R-Y. And you can meet a lot of like-minded people and cool folks that are on the same journey with you. So with that out of the way, I want to turn it over to our interview with Heather Sanford. Thanks. Welcome again, and we're so glad to have you here, and we're so glad to have Heather here, someone who is actually one of our actual friends. Hey. She is. <laughs> hey. Actually, a lot of the people we have on, <laughs> if they're not our friends when they start, they become our friends, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, how can they not be your friends? Come on. We're just I mean, a circle of friends over here. <laughs> yeah, so, like so Heather, I've known Heather for at least a year now, probably, huh? Yeah, coming up on a year. Coming up on a year. And her story is powerful. Her story is one that I think many people can relate to because she can relate to your story. And so, Heather, as always, we like to start by asking people, how long did you serve in ministry <laughs> and how did you get into it? And we know, we understand that it sounds like you're in prison, but how long were you in and what were you in for? <laughs> well, first of all, oh, hey, friends. Good to see you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, um, you want to lear learn how long I was making chivs and license plates for? serving Pretty on much, the inside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it all began when I grew up in a poor little town called Oildale in the northern part of Bakersfield. Okay, anyway. I uh basically grew up in Nazarene church and was told that I couldn't be in ministry because I'm a woman and so I'm nothing if I'm not a rebel. So I thought, well, I, I want to be in ministry. So I literally in high school started, you know, everything I could volunteer at or lead or be a part of, I was. And then after high school, I went to a Christian university in Southern California, APU, if we're naming names. And that was an interesting journey being there. And then I went straight into full-time vocational ministry right after I graduated into Young Life, which is a outreach to teenagers. I'm using air quotes, but you can't see. Hi, friends. Blog, but podcast it is air an outreach. <laughs> I'm going to air quote it. I was a leader in college and then kind of got sucked into the vortex because it's very 
enticing, filled with lots of fun and good people and good friends. And then good times that turn into not so good times. So I worked for them for seven or so years and then quit in my kind of late 20, mid to late 20s. And did, did you work for them or did you need to raise support for that position? Oh, that's a great oh, question. Snap friend Justin, I I worked for myself to try to raise money the entire time. So I never, okay. I got a paycheck from them via myself. So I pat yeah. myself on the back for that. Yeah, the, mini- like the ministerial nonprofits. money laundering that goes on. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't aware until like pretty recently that YWAM and Young Life and Campus Crusade and all these Fellowship of Christian Athletes, everyone who's like a pastor in that has been raising their own yeah. salaries. Mm, yeah. <laughs> For me, it was a great story because I literally did not know until after I was hired. So they had, a, I guess, a grant in our area that they were had enough money to hire two interns is what they used to call them. Now they call them staff associates, but it is like an internship. You're kind of like a PA doing everything, but then not really getting paid for it. And so I started September 1st, 1999, because I'm, you know, a lot older than I look. And anyway, I started and then literally my first official staff meeting was September 7th. And I'll never forget, we were going around and we were talking about goals of how much we had to raise in that quarter by the end of um, the calendar year, Christmas time. And I was like, I'm sorry, wait, what? (laughs) It's this number correct right here. And then I literally got my boss took me aside and was like, oh, yeah, this is how much. And I was like, how come I didn't know any of that? before it started. So yeah, it was kind of eye-opening. That's like a weird term to say when I got hired. It's like, were you hired or? (laughs) When I got duped into (laughs) the vortex of nonprofit Christian parachurch ministry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I sold my soul to them for a bit. And then after I left, I ended up working for a private Christian school in Southern California as the (laughs) associate dean of students, which was entertaining because my friends always laughed. They said, you're not very private and you're not even very Christian. So why are you working at a private Christian school? (laughs) But I did. And that was interesting to have like a nine to five, so to speak. It was more like 730 to like six. And then I coached soccer there, which was fun. But after... Two almost two years. I got my. I, I was gonna say I got let go, but technically they just didn't renew my contract. And um, you'll love oh. this, you guys. This is what my you, you are just hitting <laughs> hitting all those great, great the greatest hits really. Yes, I feel like you're gonna love listening this. are like. Oh, this is my story. Oh, wait, this is my story. Keep going. Oh, I have like five more rounds. It doesn't. It doesn't even stop. So. But you'll love this. I I got sat down by my direct supervisor, who was a friend of mine who I went to college with. That's why he ended up hiring me, because he heard that I'd left Young Life. And he sat me down and said, you know, you're really great at your job. Everyone loves you, this and that, all these compliments. And he said, but you are too raw, authentic, and vulnerable for our community. I said, thank you for the biggest compliment of my life. Deuces. Except that I had to work for five and a half more months until my contract ran out. Can you even believe that? That was some of the hardest months of my life. I had just gotten married. I was like, didn't want to be there every day. It was like living in a literally living it out, working in a place I knew I wasn't welcome. And I just had to ride it out. It's kind of like those poor players. So the World Cup's going on right now. And there's literal teams that are already out, but still have to play a game. (laughs) They still have to play. That's you, right? Like they still have to play. You have to like give it a good go. You have to like care about the students because you don't want to harm them. But you're stuck in this place where you've been called, and I quote, too authentic and real. I love that in that moment, again, (laughs) we understand that podcasting is a 
audio experience, but Justin took a tip of sip of tea right there. Yeah. He was like, Oh um, my gosh, because that, you know, the, and this has come up a, a couple of times and why we interview people in between our sort of topical work is that like, there are topics that come up and over and over again. And this idea of being authentic as being problematic right. is, is one that h- hits a couple of times. So, so you're, so yeah. you're sitting there with your five and a half months of being a lame duck teacher. Uh, it was super lame and awkward, but that's been the common thread in my entire quote unquote ministry experience was the inability to actually be myself because I needed to be a little less than, you know, who I really was. Keep it quiet, calm down, except they wanted to also exploit me for my many talents that I actually have. But we'll get into that later. So then I, after worked at that school, I ended up actually going back to Young Life to start a new area in Southern California. So I did that for another, gosh, almost seven more years, maybe a little longer. And I ended up moving to suburbia outside of LA area during that time and had a couple kids and whatever. But then I ended up leaving Young Life staff in end of 2016. And really the main reason is because I just couldn't partner anymore with the way they were treating the LGBTQ community at large. And they're kind of in hot water right now. Like the last couple of years, there's some people really finally calling them out. They're under investigation federally for a couple of things. There's a couple of Instagram accounts that are catching some fire, but, but it was existing already way back in the day. And so I just couldn't stomach it. And there was a variety of other reasons too, but I ended up announcing to my Boston that I was going to step away. And that was my own doing. I said, it wasn't until like October, November that I said I was going to end, but I wrote it out to the end of the calendar year. Um, So it was a couple months of awkward, but it was more just winding down. And then I decided that I was going to travel and speak and blog and do all those things. And so I was doing that a little bit. And then something that kind of changed the direction of everything is a friend of mine from the current church I was attending, which is a large church in my suburban area, a typical, what I would say, mini mega, because, you know, a few thousand people. So definitely in terms of a lot of churches, it was a mega church, but not a huge, huge church. Yeah. I was going to say like in mainline, it's like mega church, you know, more than 30. (laughs) Well, and it's the second largest church in Northern America for that denomination. And so I started, I had been going to that church. Our family was going there ever since we had moved to that town prior. So about five years, we'd already been attending and I was involved, but I wasn't, you know, I was in leadership volunteer wise, but I wasn't, you know, doing full-time parachurch. So I wasn't really on staff or anything. And my friend reached out who was the current youth pastor, asked me if I wouldn't mind taking a very part-time role just to help them with their leadership development and like camping strategy, event strategy, which I could do in my sleep after my experience in Young Life. So I was like, sure, here's 15 hours a week. It's steady. And then I took that job. And then three weeks later, (laughs) my friend said, oh, by the way, I'm leaving this church. (laughs) Wait, what? And he said, but you should become the youth pastor. So I've suggested to them that you be the the next full-time youth pastor. And gosh, I don't know how much time we have on this blog. This, um, mm. Oh, we've got time. Podcast. Don't worry. It, what, I love um, that you keep calling it a blog. This is not a blog. I know. I don't this know why. Not being I'm stuck in 2004. <laughs> well, what denomination was this? I don't I can't remember if you mentioned it. If you don't want to, just even like a flavor, just so we can get an idea of. Um, no, I, I think it's fine. It's free Methodist. Okay. Which I, yeah, free Methodists that aren't very free. <laughs> no. They escaped um, yeah. escaped the United Methodists. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. But um, but still in the Wesleyan family, which is kind of what mm-hmm. I was used to because I grew up Nazarene, which is also yeah. like a Wesleyan tradition. The Wesleyan tradition, yeah. Most of right, my so. experience was in the Wesleyan Church, which is very similar. Just, you know, yeah. love that name. John, love that John Wesley brand. It's that John Wesley guy who got warmed in his heart, apparently. Okay. Anyway. I have his bobblehead so I base, somewhere. <laughs> I base, you have a John Wesley bobblehead? Oh, yeah, I do. This yeah, so he could you. agree with me while I was writing my ordination papers. I'd say, what do you think, John? And then I'd bobble his head. <laughs> yes, like, well, yeah, yes. John agrees. And then I also have a Coach K bobblehead and now i just added a ted lasso bobblehead so the, oh, that's man. the trinity ted lasso yeah. yes that's that's hilarious i love that so yeah it was with that denomination for a while and um actually the church though that i that i was at is very charismatic compared to the the mainstream kind of free Methodist actually, which I didn't realize that because I really didn't know anything about free Methodists except what I had studied in seminary, which I skipped over. I also went to Fuller Theological Seminary in Southern California um, and got brainwashed. I mean, educated in theology. <laughs> actually, that was a good experience. I, I I met some great people there like Brian McLaren. That's when I first came across him. So I don't throw that all away. That was actually a good time because they really try to talk you out of what you believe there. At least they used to 20 years ago. So anyway, moving along. So then I ended up with this offer to come on that staff. And then all of a sudden, do you want to be the full-time youth pastor? And I was like, well, I don't really know. But long story short, they actually didn't end up offering me the position. What they said is, can you make $20,000 less than you used to make and be the associate youth pastor? Because we have this young guy that we want to make the face of the youth group but he is kind of green and hasn't really been in ministry very long, doesn't have a degree. And so you would basically run the youth group, but we'll pay him to be the youth pastor and put his picture on everything. What a great uh, idea. I'm just going to say for everybody, fuck <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> Dude, yes. <laughs> Except we I say wish, yes. You like, <laughs> I wish yeah. I would have said that, but I literally laughed because I thought they were joking. And I did say no to the first three offers they gave me, which apparently I found out later I was the first person to ever turn down a role at this church that had been offered. Because I guess people just like climb over themselves to try to work there, which is very fascinating. So, yeah, I said I said no. I have no idea because they're drinking Kool-Aid and they're mesmerized. I'll tell you why, because I've driven by this church with Heather when I've gone (laughs) to visit Heather. And it's like a sexy campus. It is beautiful. Like I get people think it's like this really, it looks cool. It does look cool. It's very, it's beautiful and aesthetic and flashy. And, you know, and when they do their tree lighting ceremony at the, at the end of last week, you know, thousand people show up and they have a great old time. So it's an interesting place, but I was already attending. I was there. I said, you know, okay. I said no several times. And then I finally just thought, well, you know what, we could use the income. My husband was going through a a transition in his career. So he was actually going into like a really awesome job, but we were still like, you know, why not? This will give us some stability. And so I took the job. And then for the next three and a half years, I was basically a constant fight between me and this other young youth pastor. And and we actually became close friends through it, but because, you know, we had to learn to work together well, but it was very hard. Um, he literally had me come to a meeting once. This is on the um, three days before Christmas. And he had me come in and he was talking about a situation with one of our leaders. And then by the end of it, we had this whole conversation for like an hour, just like back and forth, candid. And at the end of it, he pulls out this piece of paper and he goes, can you sign this? And I was like, what's this? He's like, oh, it's just about our conversation that we had tonight. And I look at it and it's a write-up. 
So, and I was like, I'm sorry, are you writing me up? Yeah, Sarah's face. I don't think I've ever even shared this story with you. I said, are you writing me up right now? He's like, yeah, this is what, and I said, and I lost my mind in this office with this young guy. First of all, there was no witness. If you're going to write somebody up, you're supposed to do it with a third party. You're supposed to tell the person you're on, there's a disciplinary action being taken. So I wouldn't sign it. I told him, absolutely not. You, we'll meet again tomorrow. And because we were meeting late at in the evening after youth group, it was like 10 o'clock at night. So, oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Right. So I said, if you want to meet tomorrow with our supervisor, let's go. But, and then it just kind of, that whole thing turned they into a big They messed with the up. wrong girl. Oh man. They certainly did. Like you were hitting so many notes, at least for me personally, because I've had those surprise meetings and then it's like, can you sign this? And like, I've made the mistake before of just signing stuff. Mostly because it was just like, I, I want to get out of this room. Like, what is the quickest way to get out of this room? <laughs> sure. Like, you hear about sure. people who like confess to things eventually because they just want to get out of the room. And they're like, yeah, I'll deal yeah. with the that's implications what it feels of like. this later. Yeah, that's what it feels <laughs> exactly. like. I had a performance review at a church plant. And like the entire time I'm working there all the feedback has been positive. Like, Hey, we love what you're doing. And, you know, I mean, I made mistakes, you know, some events flopped, you know, here and there, Hey, you know, Justin, we totally understand. We get it. Like, you know, not everything's a win, you know, da, 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 da. well, he goes on some vision quest, uh, you know, whatever. And then it comes up with, <laughs> comes up with the, I, I looked up the email. I'm not even going to kid, kid you. There were 27 values of this church or something like that. Oh, it was wow. well yeah. into the twenties. Like if you have 27 values, you have no values. Can we just talk about when a leader goes to some sort of conference and then comes back <laughs> with the new structure yeah. that everything needs to be? So yeah, I've this, done it. This, I've this, done that to people. This yeah. guy was a part of this like mentoring cohort that met like once every two months. And on staff, when he would be gone that weekend, we would joke like, what's our new structure going to look like yep, when he gets absolutely. back? And every time when he came back, the Lord spoke to him. And his, anyway, so <laughs> the like, Lord spoke. <laughs> You know, you like, know, no. could the Lord have spoken one week before I've spent three thousand dollars in making the new banners with the four like churches? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So so but, but then it was like, well, you're now you basically he retroactively graded everything I did for the last six months and was like, actually, you're failing now. Wow. I was like, excuse me, like, which honestly, to me, was like, this is him finding an excuse to say what maybe he always felt, you know, like I wasn't getting I wasn't giving honest feedback, but whatever. It's just like. Yeah. Like now you need to sign on the fact that you've you've actually, despite of what mountains of emails have said, you're doing a terrible job. Uh, and you need to sign to that fact. I was like, um, I I do not feel good about this. So anyone that plays gotcha with you like that is not a cool person. Just gonna well, put that out there. It's for anybody this whole listening. like narrative of threat. So like for instance, mm -hmm. your I, because I know both of your stories a little bit, your person that was reviewing you, Justin, didn't love how people thought about you in this role, oh, yeah. right? They they very much wanted to be the lead. And Heather, your dude, which I can't wait. I can't wait for everyone to hear the whole story because like we're only 18 minutes in and Heather hasn't yeah. even got to the juicy stuff. I'm not so even far, she's sitting having a conversation. In any, by the way, this is, a, this is the kind of guys, friends, that wouldn't eat in a restaurant alone with you because that could be seen as problematic, but they will have a meeting with you at 10 PM to right? tell you <laughs> how, how problematic you, yep. you are. Yeah. And then yeah, sign this the Billy form, Graham rule, but which by the way, sign this form is so you're not easily intimidated, but little yeah. tiny baby Sarah, when she was a youth pastor, if they had pulled me in, 
I would have been intimidated. And that is not like, mm-hmm. okay for someone to sign a form under duress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, there were tears. I was so hot in about 2.5 seconds because I couldn't believe the audacity that he had. And on the write-up, the, the issues were that he felt undermined by me. He felt I was being insubordinate. He listed literally, you guys, because I would correct his grammar in... <laughs> He would misspell or mispronounce things all the quite often in like sermons. And so afterward we'd talk and I'd say, oh, okay, you meant to say this, not that. And he's like, no. And I'm like, yeah, this is what this word actually means. And I would tell him, so one time I said that in front of two of our leaders, we were having a kind of a conversation about stuff. And he said, because I didn't, I'm only to praise him in public and correct him in private. Therefore he wrote that on on my write-up that I didn't sign. So whatever. I called HR immediately afterward and I was like, um, I'm not doing this. But then it was so awkward because the next day was our first of 12 Christmas Eve Christmas services that I had to be like all a part of. And I was like super emotional. It was crazy. But anyway, so that that situation has so much more that we could definitely get into, but I'll finish out my story and then we can jump back because from there I was, we actually did this speaking of new visions for the church. Another thing that large churches do is they hire third parties to come in quite often and tell them how they need to make everything even better. And so we hire us, we'll do it. Yeah. So we had a third party come in and do an evaluation of all of our staff. And they said, basically, you you need to completely restructure your staffing chart and whatever. And then to their chagrin, the people said, and your most strategic person and most qualified person you have to be in one of these executive roles on your team is Heather. <laughs> and I remember the lead pastor just couldn't believe himself <laughs> because he was already probably not the biggest fan of me. We'd had a few other interactions. I um I'm a heavy set gal. I'm he doesn't like that. I have color bright colored hair. It's not bright right now, but Wait, normally it's he didn't like purple. that you were heavy set. Oh yeah, we had a whole conversation one time about it because he's a very fit, like health is important to him. Mm. And so without so many words, he um I got written up for somebody taking a picture of me in a casino smoking a cigarette <laughs> that they sent to him and said, Isn't this one of your pastors? So he called me in and then I said in the conversation, I remember saying, because he said, this doesn't look like a picture of health. I said, shouldn't you be more concerned that I'm overweight? Like, would you say that if somebody sent you a picture of me eating an In-N-Out burger? And he's like, well, (laughs) you know that that does matter to me, but I don't know if I can say that. And (laughs) it was like a walk around. It was a very entertaining conversation and unfortunate. Conversations that are between you and your doctor and... (laughs) No Literally. one else. Not you and so your pastor. inappropriate. In no other vocation in the world do people yes. try to think they get to know all of your personal business and then base merit on your paycheck, you know, your stability and your job based on those things. So anyway, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So I ended up being invited onto this newly created executive team um, in the role of what they called the weekend experience pastor. So I oversaw three departments, the worship department, the communication department, the production department. We had four services at this church. So it was a, a lot of stuff going on all the time. So, and a side note, they actually said, you know, this this guy, we we want him to be on the executive team too, the other youth pastor, but he's not really capable to do this side of it. So we're going to give him this other position. And I don't know if those things ever were told directly to his face, but they were certainly told to mine that uh, yet again, we need you to cover 
for somebody else. And so I took that role because it was just a, a seat at the table, so to speak. And I thought, okay, I can actually have more of an influence here. But I left what had been my main focus of ministry was youth ministry, which I know is similar for you guys. And Justin, that's what you did as well. I yep. I loved students. I didn't, I loved students and families. I never saw it as like a stepping stone to something bigger, better, whatever. To me, I was like, I'm a lifer. I'm going to be doing the crazy skits and youth games forever until I die. Because um, I didn't want to work with adults because they were jerks. <laughs> so I just wanted to work with students. But that's, that position actually took me out of youth ministry for the first time in my 25 plus years that I was in for. Speaking of your original question, that's how long I served. And so when I took that job, I knew it was the beginning of the end when the first month I had my first one-on-one with my pastor and and I found I was given the Christmas budget a couple of days prior. And I realized that we spent over $30,000 on a Christmas weekend And I said to him, hey, what about this year? Can we just make a billboard instead on the church lawn and say that says, you know, X church gave $30,000 to the Boys and Girls Club of our town, you know, Merry Christmas, (laughs) you know, in lieu of getting the lights and the horse carriage rides and the picture op photo ops and the oversized gingerbread cookies that literally cost 30 grand. How about we just, and that's not even to mention the production of the actual performance. And I definitely call it a performance, like bring in the dancers, bring in the juggling acts. It's like that meme that's going around right now, that video, if you guys have seen it, where the drummers yeah, are literally flying the, through the air. <laughs> yeah, the drummers, yeah. I wish they, that wasn't real. There, there so are churches real. where their budgets are like half a million dollars. Literally. For their, for yeah. the, just, just for their Christmas experience. <laughs> Which is unreal. So I asked him about that. I said, you know, could we just do something else? And he laughed. And then he realized I was serious. And he said, oh, wait, you're serious. I said, absolutely, I'm serious. We could bless like our whole community. We could be the church, quote unquote. That makes me want to throw up now um, that I even said that. But, you know, we could go out and be the church (laughs) to our community. And he said, no, that will never happen. That's a good notion, but that that will never happen. I should have known then that was the beginning of the end for me, because basically the whole next year and a half that I was in that role, it was just a constant struggle. I would come up with some pretty great ideas and then I would get in trouble in the executive team meeting for basically basically coming against whatever was already decided by the visionary. And then I would get literally taken aside afterward and say, you can't really say that. Because so, he would come to the table saying, let's talk about this. But really, he'd already decided exactly what he wanted. Our voices didn't actually matter. So that's how it felt most often. I've been in that room many times. <laughs> been in that room. And then COVID came and the pandemic and that changed a lot of things. And so my responsibility at my church was basically it all landed into my departments. Like we had to reinvent church overnight. So I joke around with people that when the shutdown actually happened, I was not at home. I was at church for a couple of weeks. I pretty much lived at church, which did I mention that we bought a house right across the street from my church so that we could live there and, you know do ministry, quote unquote, have people over. So I still live across the street from my church and on the same street as my pastor. So that's a side note of fun. As a church that she doesn't go to that has somewhat traumatized her. She has to drive by it every day and by the pastor. It's a big trigger. So then, gosh, that's kind of how my ending of my serve time at the end of it. The big thing that happened is October 2020. I was brought in without warning and I was terminated for behavior unbecoming of a pastor. Would you like to know what I did? What did you, what, tell us, tell us. I played um, Mary Sex Kill with some other people from my church. 
mm-hmm. another staff person and a few of our volunteers at my house. I don't know if you know what Mary Sex Kill is. It was kind of popular on the James Corden show during that time. It's We're terrible <laughs> and you really shouldn't play it. Really? But, it's like a we silly, all do. terrible game. Oh, I never yeah, do. You just I'm choose. Like, this is, you choose I'm not going to judge. No, I never play it because <laughs> I don't like judging people and putting them into categories. No way. Oh, good well, for you. You're very much anyway. more holy than I am because I played no. and we laughed. And and so we played that game. With and, another staff um, member, I feel like is an important detail as well. Like you yeah. weren't the only staff uh-huh. person that participated in this very human, normal game that many people play. Yeah, that staff person is a, a good friend of mine to this day. And they're still on staff there. So apparently their um, unbecoming behavior as a pastor on staff maybe didn't get so... <laughs> Didn't wasn't as drastic as mine. He actually ended up going in and asking them to write him up months later because he was very upset. And they were like, no, it's different because she was on the executive team. So you were under her influence. So a grown man who was also a pastor on the staff, I had that much power over him, allegedly. So he didn't get in trouble at all. But anyway, so then I was fired for that. No questions asked. They didn't talk to me. It was just a crazy, it really was the carpet got ripped out from under me. I couldn't believe it. I immediately was, it was devastating to me because that's all I had known. I had poured my whole life into that for literally my whole life. And then especially that church for a decade. So yeah, it was pretty, yeah, traumatic is an understatement. It was very, very hard to go through that. But the real bigger picture behind that is also that same person I was mentioning earlier. I had had, I don't know, I want to say at least six documented, but more than that, conversations about him plagiarizing his sermons multiple times. We'd go to a conference, he'd come back and literally give the sermon that next week and people would just sing his praises. Oh my gosh, that's so, you're, you have such revelation. And I'm like, um, he that's literally not his sermon. That's like these popular youth pastors online, you know, that he's getting this information from, which by the way, every person does that, but they just say at the very beginning, oh, I just went and got inspired by yeah. this guy. It's it's yeah. so simple. It, you don't like, actually have to. <laughs> it's not that hard. All you have to do is like vaguely. Attribute no one would care it. at all. Like just exactly. say, hey, I was at a conference. I heard this. I want to share it with you. Yeah. Or here's my ver- my take on it or what this this other person preached. It's so simple, but they're so wrapped up in the ego of wanting people to think that they came up with this amazing, incredible idea that they just don't say that and they take credit for it. Well, I have a big problem with that because integrity, authenticity, those are very important to me. And so I had confronted this person multiple times. So two weeks prior to me being fired for this heinous act that happened four months prior at my at my house that never got brought up until all of a sudden two weeks so before. Yes. Pay attention to the timing because it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So two weeks prior to me getting let go, I confronted this person yet again for plagiarizing a sermon that was so obviously plagiarized. He used the same jokes. He used words that he would never even use, like not even the, the sermon was from someone from Australia and who it's a different like literal language, like wording that was used. And he used that to our like middle school and high schoolers in America that wouldn't even use the word. And so it was so painfully obvious, but, you know, so I had confronted him and he said, you know, you're just out to get me. He just was able to look me straight in the face and say, absolutely not. I did not use that. I said, I was sitting next to you. You're on the video. Of, you can go to that website and watch the video of this guy preaching and he and I are sitting next to each other and he's writing notes. I'm like, you just, it's not that hard of a thing to just own it. Cause that wouldn't have been a big deal. It would have just been like, Hey, yeah, I did this. 
I was hard for time. I had to preach five times that week. I don't know what come up with other excuse you want, but yeah. the fact he couldn't own it was just, I don't know how people can just look at someone's face when no one else is in the room and they just can blatantly lie straight to you. I don't know how people do that. The kind of person that impromptu asks you to sign things is the kind of person that can blatantly <laughs> lie to your face. Well, there you go. Cause it happened to be the same person. Ask so, me how I know. <laughs> like, I mean, that's, that's, that's a common Speaking thing. of lying to your face, I should say that I have played that game with famous people, but I never play it with real people. That's what I right. meant by that. That's how usually it's played. It's usually you take three celebrities, you know, you're like Brad Pitt, Johnny Depp, and this is just showing how old I am. <laughs> but, you know, you pick like who you'd marry, who'd sleep with, who you'd kill. But anyway, we used to and do we it did. In, in college. We used to do it with our theology professors. Like, <laughs> like they were all dudes too. So like, That's it was so like, terrible. it was this funny way to like get us to laugh in class. Like I'd have a friend that would just lean over and like name like three of the, the most random professors. And we all knew what yeah. he was doing. We're like, <laughs> well, that's what got me in trouble, Justin, yeah. because we actually used at the end round, like the last couple of rounds, we stopped using famous people and we did start using people that we knew from the church specifically. So when I was fired, I was told specifically that I influence these people because I am, you know, much more powerful than them as a person. So I influence these adults to break three of the 10 commandments. Oh, wow. That's what I was told in my, I can, I can definitely see where that would be seen as inappropriate fair, but to be fired summarily over it after it happened three months later or four months ago. Yeah, that's, that's not. not And that's exactly right. I, I, I never to this day, even in that moment up until now have never said, tried to justify that that was an appropriate game to play. You know, I, I went around myself to the people that were in my home the next few days after it happened, just to make sure everyone was okay. So obviously it bared weight on me, but not enough to me go to my you know, pastor and say, oh, I need to confess this thing that happened. But that's what he said. That I should have come right away, which no one else did. So, but the person that did come forward eventually was, happens to be one of this person that I had confronted its best friends. So conveniently, they all of a sudden were bothered four months later in the wake of their friend and I being in a confrontation. So I guess I can't prove it <laughs> this side of eternity, but I'm pretty certain that it had something to do with it. So, yeah. I also think it, you told me that they said you had created a toxic work environment. For him, he went to yeah. straight to, after our meeting, he went actually to the home of our pastor and said, I don't feel safe now working with Heather because she's created a toxic work environment for me. And that's, I went in the next morning on Monday morning to work, wanting to talk to my direct supervisor to bring in so we could have a third party you know, to discuss it. And I I was already walking into a big, huge fun thing because they had already been all talking about it. Yeah. And this is two weeks prior, which they never brought reconciliation to me and him during those two weeks. I kept asking every day, could we resolve this? Can we figure this out? You know, whatever. No, it was just low hanging. And you had to continue doing ministry while you were unsure what was. was going on. And I actually stepped down from a couple of things in those two week time period to give him the space to be okay. Like I was supposed to lead worship for something. And I said, Hey, I'll just step aside. That way you can focus. And then the next weekend I was leading communion, but I said, he was preaching. So I'm like, I'll just step aside. You know, I constantly was like minimizing myself, which was um, a whole reality of my life in ministry in general is I ended up 
knowing the truth of what I should be standing for, but oftentimes still gave the benefit of the doubt and let the person that was, you know, really not in the right continue to be in the forefront and lead. Because I think especially as a woman in ministry, that's what you're taught to do, you know? <laughs> Psychologically, like, it is such a wild thing to yeah to really martyr yourself for the ministry. Like, right. To keep it going. I mean, it is like, I mean, because you hear about people that are like, you know, that he, undercover even much more unhealthy things than what we've talked about, but never disclose it because they want to, you know, right? because th- they want to keep the ministry going. And it's, it's just, it is a strange psychology. I think all of us, everyone in recovery has participated in, in some form to be like, I know something is wrong, whatever it happens to be, but I'm going to stay quiet about it because I don't want to wreck this entire thing. That's exactly right. I don't, for the I don't sake of be, the institution. And after a certain point, when you're out for a while, you stop caring, but, <laughs> but it's, but it's also like, yeah, there's this a strange, it, it's, it's just, it's group think, whatever you want to call it. But it's, I do want to call that out. Like that's, I think in that sense, what you experience is very normal and it's a very human thing to want to, um, totally. and it also it protects our ego too. Cause it's like, I realized sure. I was a part of something that was wrong, but if I tear it down on my way out, then now I have to deal with all of that too. Yeah. And I didn't want to be that girl. I mean, I had people by the dozens reaching out to me saying, put this on blast, like say all of this on social media, you know? And I was like, I don't want to be that girl. And I was so hurt at the time. Now, to be honest, I have days where I'm like, why wasn't I just that girl? But actually in the wake of me getting let go in the manner of which I was let go within the next six months, like 13 or 14 full-time pastoral people left their positions at that church because of just the the fallout of what happened and people just seeing the reality of how people were treated and what was really going on. And there were questions asked and never clear answers given. So there were a lot of people that did step away from their roles at the church. And so, but the church is fine. I mean, they just have a rotating door. It doesn't really matter. It's typical. You know, there's a lot of new faces. Whenever you have a staff that the transition happens every, you know, I would say basically 18 months to three years, it's like a brand new staff. And that pattern has happened. Even in the decade that I was there, there was three major staff turnovers. At some point you have to look at that pattern and think, is there a common denominator? What's going on with the leadership? Why does this constantly happen? Yeah. That's, that's a great interview question to ask for those of you that are considering ministry, those of you or any organization, honestly, you know, who are the people that have had this role in the last 10 years? Yeah. Yeah. What's the turnover like? You know, Absolutely. Cause that's a way to ask it just to be like, you know, like wh- how has this role changed the last 10 years? Who's been here? You know, you can, you can ask it nonchalantly, not like, are you a terrible person? But there are ways to get at that information to realize like, Oh, I am the fifth youth pastor in the last six years. Hmm. hmm. Like that's yeah. Something that's is a up. smart question. You're right. That's a great question to ask that, that I wish I would have asked that when I was interviewed. I, you don't know to ask it really until you've been burnt several times. And then you realize, oh, this. Well, and I even kind of knew because I, yeah. like I said, attended that church for five years. So I had seen already two major staff turnovers in the time I was just going to that church. But there's such an allure to like be a part of the magic, you know, that it's just some, it's, yeah, it's a lot, you know, and to wrap up that part of that story, I stayed at that church for a full year after I was terminated, which most people, when they find that part of my story, they're like, wait, what you stayed? I said, yeah, I stayed. It was my church and my kids never knew anything different. They were raised in that church. That's their friendships. That's their community. These were my friendships. This is my community. Why would I leave? 
And so I was told, okay, yeah, you can stay. And for six months, you just can't be in leadership. You can like stay. you can, you can, you, you can can't, stay. You're welcome think, to you continue stay. tithing. <laughs> oh, they certainly wanted me to keep tithing, but they didn't want me to sing on the worship team. They didn't want me to be a youth leader. They they wanted me to take six months. And I said, that's fine. They said that way there's just no confusion. Cause I was a pretty prominent, like face voice person on the staff, you know, I was very well known and they'll very well loved or whatnot, because I was a very visible upfront person doing a lot of hosting and preaching and different things. So anyway, so then for that year, I stayed there. And about six months after I was fired, I started the process of trying to become a youth leader again, because my daughter was going into the youth group that next fall. And it just, that's where the avalanche started hitting. I have I mean, if I wasn't gaslit a million times um, while I was on staff there, these few months over that summer of 2021, uh, just a year and a half ago, was unreal. They were trying to, they had a couple of meetings with me and said, How is the Holy Spirit leading you and your family to go to another church? <laughs> Why no? No, <laughs> he's not. Is that a oh. problem? I mean, it was such gaslighting and spiritual bypassing. But basically, I was ended up to, the ultimate the ultimate thing that happened is I was told I was no longer welcome there. So modern day literal excommunication from a church. And it's not like if I showed up, there'd be like people to escort me off. I mean, at least I don't think so. They just make it awkward. But yeah. they yeah. And the and it, I was so then I was devastated all over again. And this is in the midst of like kind of a deconstruction period. And I never I kind of have never bought into all of it anyway, is what I, how I kind of describe it. You know, I was always the person that lived a little bit on the edge, like always questioned everything, didn't take things literally anyway, would get in trouble, you know, pre Rob Bell love wins moments and pre Brian McLaren saying these things. I was like, oh yeah, I've thought that since I was 17, you know, that kind of a thing. And kind of always was in evangelical ministry thinking I could help from the inside out, which I think a lot of people do. A lot of people see behind the curtain and they think, well, I'll go in and I'll be here instead of pointing a finger and blaming the systems and the abuse and the systemic crap that goes on. I'll get inside and I'll, I'll be the change, <laughs> you know? To quote, I'll be the like, change you know. I wish to see. Exactly. I was like, I'll get in there and do it. And and so, for, sometimes you get momentum and you think this is working. But then when you just keep hitting these walls over and over and over, it starts damaging you. Like I physically in my body, you know, I've been trying to do like just <laughs> Sarah and I talk about this a lot because she's so in tune to this where your body keeps a score type stuff. You know, it's like for a while I couldn't drive past my church physically. Cause I would just, it just was a trigger. My body would react. I was going to move to another state at one point last year because I just couldn't be there. And that's not like me. I'm not the person that runs and like cowers. No, away. I think I, your story, your story really shows that like, mm -hmm. you know, you have awkward meetings and you stick around, you have a difficult encounter and you stick around. You're still going to a church, even though they have basically told you that you were a toxic human because you yeah. were calling people out. And I think that's yeah. the, that's the thing is it really shows that you're not someone who runs away. Yeah. I was just told though, in that process that I value freedom and I don't value holiness. That's what another human being oh. sat across from a coffee shop table in public and told me, I said, wow. Yeah. And, and you know what? I said, okay, I don't disagree. I think freedom is what it's about. If that's what, if you're going to, Again, it was like going back to the school where I got fired for being authentic, raw and vulnerable. If that's what I'm going to get, you know, martyred for, then fine. I, I believe in freedom, not in holiness. Give me a break. Yeah. So, And if you define holiness in juxtaposition to 
personal freedom. Like I, that's that not something like I'm a, interested in. Like, yeah, that's like a real weird yeah. dichotomy then, to create. Then I just won't be holy. Thanks. But that exactly. actually, that is actually a, that is a great point. Um, uh, many of these churches tell people that the problem is your, your non, you don't want to be obedient to the spirit, yeah. to God. And so, in, and in their mind, holiness means obedience. Yes. Um, to what they want to do. It's a very strange marriage. And I, and I want to stop and recognize that because the difficulty we have when we leave something like that is that we do, whether we want to or not, you still, it, it becomes part of you. The, the words yeah. that people say, the way they like marry those two things. You wonder like, oh, is it? Am I a rebel yeah. without a cause? Or am I a rebel with right. a cause? And with a cause is fine, but without a cause, what do I do? And I think that's the the unhealth and the gaslighting or whatever word. By the way, that's the word of the year, according to the <laughs> Webster's Dictionary. Uh, yeah, not surprised. It's so funny because you hear teenagers hear it, say it all the time and you're like, I'm not sure that's what you think it means. But <laughs> just because they don't agree with you, that doesn't mean they're gaslighting you. But I think there is this sort of gaslighting experience of like if i well i guess it's more spiritual bypassing if i like blame it on your inability to hear the spirit like who's the judge of that well that would be me i'm going to tell you that you are you know experiencing you're not being obedient and that's where abuse comes in spiritual abuse is a real thing uh, the idea that you can like influence people and manipulate people in ways because you you've got the right spirit and they just have they don't have the spirit of obedience yeah and so especially weird. when it's like you said when it's not even obedience to a quote-unquote higher power it's obedience no. to them and their vision mm -hmm. and their reputation and their outward appearance how do we look to the community how do we look to the congregation mm -hmm. which is so unsettling because you realize when you get out of it and you kind of the blinders finally come off fully and you kind of get settled from being shaken, you realize how much power they actually carried mm. over you because I would to a fault protect. Even when I first got fired, I remember in that moment I was crying in the, in his office and I said, whatever I can do to help, you know, the church, I don't want anything to come back on or look bad. Like whatever you guys need me to do. Mm -hmm. I was more concerned you know what I mean? Again, with the reputation. Now I'm like, I laugh because I'm like, oh gosh, I it's scary to me, like what happens even still. And that place is doing some great things as well. I'm not saying it's all bad, you know, but for me, I just I'm like, no, I can't. Once you see behind the curtain for real, it's just, it's impossible to go back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. It's, it's hard. And I, I, it's interesting too. I, for me, I had a couple bad experiences with leaders and I think honestly, I stayed in ministry for a while after that honestly, just out of spite, hmm. like, ah, yeah. just wow. out of like, you don't get to tell me that I don't have it, huh. <laughs> you know, which, which, you know, I've, I've, I've been in therapy about, cause that's not the most healthy way to continue sure. pursuing a career. And so I think out I, of spite, <laughs> but, but seriously, like it just like out of, out of a sheer, like, like, and also like, if this, if this career is peopled with folks like you i need to stay because hmm. to protect to protect folks um and so but i know that sounds noble but it's also like you're gonna grind yourself into the ground if yeah if that's yeah. your you'll burn real bright for a little bit see i 
I had the opposite. I had mentors and people that I really respect and to this day really respect and people that you guys love and read and think are great say to me that I needed to stay in ministry because there weren't enough people like me and that the world needed me to be my brightest and biggest me in ministry because I was such a unique commodity. And that may sound like such a compliment, but it, it once again made me feel like my only worth was what I could do and how I could perform in the role because I had expressed to these people, I'm really burnt out. I don't know what I want to do. I need to, you know, whatever. And then they said, well, we, the world really needs you to be a pastor. What? Yeah. 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 So I didn't stay out of spite. I stayed out of obligation. (laughs) Well, Well, that can resonate with that so much. Other people, it's all other people saying what God is, should be telling you. Like, like all, all right. of our stories is, you know, it's, it's just variations on a theme and how you react to that. Which which sets people up to not trust themselves, right? Yeah. Or what yeah. they mm-hmm. know or believe or hear. But yeah, I mean, I resonate though, Sarah, with that so much because of the reality. I stayed really not out of spite or obligation, but more out of this glimmer of hope because I'm a seven on the Enneagram. Yeah. I'm an eternal optimist. Like, it's all going to be okay. We're going to make it better. Let's all go to Disneyland, you know, metaphorically. And I always just kept on holding on thinking there was hope. And but then I would have people tell me the same thing in those spaces, Sarah, like we need you because you're so different. You know, you're so you're such a different your breath of fresh air is the word I would get often. So they wanted me there, but they but I felt like a liability to them because I didn't fit the mold of the controllable mold is what I didn't fit. You know, and so, yeah, I can totally understand exactly what you're saying. It just and then it's just so disheartening because then you throw in your humanity into the mix. And, you know, obviously, like you're right, I kept it out, kept it or kept at it for a while. I stayed there in a place that literally fired me, didn't want me. And I still attended and tithed for a full year. Now I laugh about that because I'm like, what was I? Because now I don't want to have anything to do with the evangelical church in general. You couldn't pay me enough to go back and work at a church right now that's not affirming, that's abusive toward women, and that's patriarchal. You can't pay me enough now. Because now that I've been at it long enough and I'm out of the Sunday rhythm, so to speak, and I actually sleep in on Sundays and watch football, you can't pay me enough to go back and lay down everything for that work that's not actually, it doesn't look anything like Jesus. And that's a whole other conversation with where people, what people do with kingdom or their faith and in, you know, Rev Covery, our crew, there's so many different places where we are, you know, in the discord, you can just see people talking about it all the time that we're all in different parts of our journey. So some people still are holding on to faith because it's what they know. Mm-hmm. And some people have totally ditched the whole thing. Some people are reevaluating what it actually looks like. But for me, no matter how you slice it, the very quote unquote thing they're trying to sell or sling looks nothing like what they're actually doing. Like if they're going to say we're about a quote unquote kingdom way, the way that this person of Jesus lived on the planet, they're doing the opposite. So now I can't do it anymore, you know? And and that's another thing, Justin, you said something a minute ago, reminded me how often we give so much power to it and stay, whether it's out of a negative motive or a positive motive. Part of it too is because we just believe like if we can stick it out, we can do the right thing, that we can make the change, you know, and then these people will will all of a sudden all of a sudden the somebody will get it along the way and not hurt the people that keep going, right? And then we think when we do get let go abruptly, I have had the thought so many times over the last two two years, wait, you're breaking up with me? 
I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't even like ascribe to what you're selling and you're telling me to get out. Like you're kicking me out of the thing that I don't even like, can't even stand behind. So then you almost like fight to stay in it even more, right? Because of the audacity that like, you're the one that's hurt me. You're the one that has abused me, literally used me all of what you needed out of me and then left me out, by the way, underpaid the entire 25 years while I was in ministry. And I'm not just talking underpaid by like a few hundred bucks. That young person made $20,000 more than me. I am had 22 years of ministry experience. They were 24. And because they have a penis, sorry, not sorry, they got paid $20,000 more than me. That's ridiculous. But yet I stayed. You know, because I uh, didn't have the ability to value myself. That's the price of a Awful. penis. We just discovered it right there. <laughs> yeah, it is. We just discovered One penis, the price $20,000. $20, Got it. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it's the, you know, I made conference minimum my entire career and that was choices that I made. But then Heather and I both had a similar experience where we discovered our um, salaries are all published. And when I found out how much money my friends make, I was like, wait a minute. I'm reinventing the wheel, like flipping a church. Y'all are just gathering people that are already there. Like, I was like, this is so different. And you're making yeah. so much more money than me just because you happen to be in a wealthy area. Like that's, that's the, so then you're, you're asking your clergy to value working in wealthier areas. Not like me, who's in an urban setting. And like, it was just this, it's one of those things that you're yeah. like, I don't want to care about money, but the. The justice of it, the fact that like, and don't even get me started about the difference between male and female salaries, even in the church, (laughs) especially in the church, I should say not even in the church. And I, I have to ask, did this young person have a degree like you do? No, they don't have a degree at all. They They didn't uh, go to seminary. No, they went. she, She mentioned that earlier. Yeah. They went to a little thing that, that you can do where you take a couple of Bible classes through like your church. I don't want to call it out because it might be too close to home. I mean, I guess if somebody's listening to this and they know the situation, they're going to know all of it. <laughs> probably, it probably but, costs um, a lot less than $20,000. But it, but no, they haven't. And now they're, you know, doing their own thing, planted their own church. It's just going what? up. But, yeah, they're just continuing along in the, the ladder of the goodness, you know, and go for it. It's a... It's a very unfair scale in that world of what, who comes out on top, what actually happens. It's not surprising. I mean, none of us would be surprised that that keeps happening, but it's, it, that's the hard part. It's that you want to be in there and fight for it, you know, but then you just, when you get chewed up and spit out too many times, you finally realize I can't, I don't have anything else to give. You know, I need to actually care for myself mm-hmm. for a minute, but then you're lost kind of in the wilderness for a bit. Right. Cause you're like, wait, I gave 25 plus years of my life to this, to vocational ministry. Who am I? What am I without that? You know, I said in the beginning, when I first got fired, I would tell people, my friends, I'm like, you know, I'm going to be okay. Cause I know who I am. I'm going to be okay. This isn't my identity. I know who I am. And then a year later, when I was in a legit depression, had to get on meds for the first time in my life, figured that I needed some mental health, some stability. I got, you know, I was like, I don't know who I am outside of the indoctrination of the evangelical mm-hmm. American Western cultural Christianity. I was like, holy yeah. shit balls. I don't know who I am. Yeah. And so it's been a journey. It's been, and it's still a journey. I would be lying if I said that I'm, that I'm healed or moved on or over it or whatever the words you want to use. It looks different now. Um, 
because I'm finally starting to focus on a couple different things, figure out some stuff to move forward. But it's been a lot longer of a healing journey than I had anticipated because I'm a pretty strong, resilient, you know, wipe the dust the water off, you know, and rewrite the rap. Let's go, you know, let's go. But that's not how this last two years has looked at all. It wiped me out. And then there's almost like shame in that, you know what I mean? Because people all around, especially in my community, I'm sort of like a mini celebrity in my community because it's like, it's in Southern California, but it's in a place that's kind of a small town feel, you know, so everyone knows everyone. There was a couple months I could not go to the coffee shop, the store. I couldn't go anywhere because I was always recognized because to this day, they've never said there's been no communication from the church that I was even gone. I just like magically ghosted. I was just like, poof, not on set. They never addressed it. They never sent out an email. What? They never said anything. They never said anything from the, the pulpit. Yeah, not at all. They just avoided the whole thing. And it just became a big, ugly mess, especially in those first few months, because they did a big investigation of the leadership, because there's all these people questioning why they handled it the way they did. And then when I met with the lead pastor, the first time we met after the, I was terminated was probably, I don't know, six or eight weeks later. And of course, I think now they laugh. He asked me to meet him at his home. How How unsafe is that? that the first time we finally talked was in his backyard. And we had a very long and what I thought was pretty good conversation, but he likened me to the general of an army that had been raised up against him. And he'd never in all his career seen people that with how many, so many people would take my side. And I said, I am not your enemy. Like this narrative you're telling yourself, like we have a common enemy, you know, which is language I would have used then, but now I'm like, whatever. But I'm like, I'm not your enemy, bro. Like, yeah. And that's a whole nother thing. Narcissism.com. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. unreal. Unreal. Yeah. Like the, <laughs> this whole thing that like, well-liked staff pastors will come and take your ministry away from you. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm not interested. I'm a staff pastor because I'm not interested. Like, right. Like that's like, I'm, I'm here to help. I'm here to try to make this work. I'm here to partner with you. Like, I am not trying to take something away from you. Like in, and so many, yeah. especially I mean, I, I don't like to diagnose people with narcissism necessarily, but certainly narcissist adjacent folks are like <laughs> sure. you know, constantly looking for like the threat. Oh, they're going to, somebody's going to come get me. You know, like this is not the mob. Like it, yeah. it shouldn't be like we're, um, I worked for two people in a row that were just paranoid and it just like, I am not who you are pretending I am. Um, and, yeah. and it's like, it probably makes you feel really good. Like I have enemies, you know, like <laughs> I have high caliber enemies. Look at them. Oh, yeah, I, I the- caught the snake in the grass. Oh <laughs> man. You know, like, like I'm, that's not who I am, bud. Yeah. Like, but that's the narrative. Like the church has the evangelical church. And oftentimes guys, when we're talking about this stuff, it's hard because mainline and evangelical and I've walked both lines are very different in some ways. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would say mainline churches don't have this view, but the evangelical church has this view that there there's, a force to be fought against. Mm, So you have to remain vigilant because they are, it's this like, we we are uh, in a war against the world. Right. Right. And we, at any point, the, the devil could get you. Whatever (laughs) that's right. And Sarah, he's out there misspelling Santa in TV shows. Remember? Haven't you seen all the going, going after us. (laughs) He's out there getting these children. Yeah. I mean, it's just so when you have that victim mentality yeah. and vigilance required, you it makes sense to me why you would think that somebody 
asking you to live with integrity feels like an attack. Right. right. Instead of an opportunity to like get better at what you do, your craft. Because honestly, and, and the hard part for me in this hearing this story is like, I view my speaking stuff that I do, whether it's a sermon or it's a craft. It is a craft. Yeah. And it, the idea that someone would like heavily borrow from someone and not even ever, ever mention it. Because, you know, the the big magic that Elizabeth Gilbert talks about is true. We We often parallel create because the world is trying to create yeah. this thing. And so there have sure. been times I've heard stuff and been like, oh, shoot, I just spoke on that or uh, or not realized that happens. But the moment you realize it is the moment of integrity where you can say, wow, uh, oops, you know, and there has been some I don't know if you guys know Mickey Scott Bay did this, you know, use someone else's poem. And it was really a, a very public and did a great job of saying, I'm not even going to make an excuse. Here's what happened. Ownership goes and so far. Ownership. Yeah. I just yeah. respect her so much. Yeah. And and that's the thing too. Like, and a lot of times I will know I've heard something, but I yeah. can't, I can't remember if it was a video, a tweet, a sermon, like sometimes yeah. just like I, there is knowledge that's in here that I don't think is mine. And so it, it isn't hard to just be like, Hey, I heard this somewhere. Like even just as simple Absolutely. as that, to, like it does not, it, and I, I've, I've never, I've never understood that. I'm, and I've even like, there was one time it was like an evangelical church. I did something like similar to like what something Pete Rollins did. And so I just mentioned his name. No one knew who that guy was. Like, no, right. there was, there was not a, I could have, I could have stole all of his stuff and nobody sure. in that room would have known, but it's like, just, just cop to it, man. Like, it's not, it's not hard to do. Cause it's actually not that big of a deal. It is not. Literally. No, it is not. Um, it, it, just to attribute even just a simple like, you know, hey, I heard this, you know. Well, um, to me, it highlights what I think the theme of your story. And we'll, at, you know, we'll, I really want to hear kind of where you see your story going now. But is authenticity and integrity versus mm -hmm. versus not versus the world, but versus like the inability to own uh, the inability to be challenged and yeah, just this persona that so many of them have. So if you, you know, you're, you're your authentic self, what would you say to anyone who's gone through what you've gone through? Because one of the things I am so proud of you for is even as a seven, you have like, let this hit you. You mm -hmm. have, you have gone into the pit. You have said, yeah. all right, I am not going to make this sunny and happy and comfortable for other people. I'm going to say yeah. that I gave my whole life to something and it turned out it's a monster and I don't know what to do about it. But what do you think would be helpful for people who may have a similar story or maybe not even have a similar story? But what would you say yeah. to a listener who might need to hear some? Yeah, something? I mean, that's such a good question because I have so many thoughts about it. And what I would say, what I would say to myself, even like if I could go back to myself the day before I was terminated, the day before the carpet was ripped out from under me, so to speak, I think I would just want to encourage myself to to just stay steady. Like I've done sit in the pain. It's actually okay to sit in the pain. It doesn't feel comfortable. It's not fun, but it's worth it. And to not discount anything that led up to that moment. And what I mean by that is I played tricks on myself for many days, if not even weeks or months in the last couple of years, just thinking was any of it actually worth it? Because I felt duped. I gave my whole life to something do you know what I mean? Mm. That that to me now does not equate to truth. 
period. And that's a whole other podcast. You know what I mean? Like it's it's to yeah. get into the depths of like theologically what I think or whatever. I mean, there's just so many layers, but I had so many days where I thought, was I kidding myself this whole time? Like, did I damage these students, these families, these people that I talked with, sat with, preached with to, you know what I'm saying? Counseled. Do I need to go back and call every one of them? Do you know what I mean? And say, I'm so <laughs> sorry if I ever led you to believe something that has harmed you or damaged you. But I think I've had to have tender moments with myself to say, no, like you did love people well. Like people have come out of the woodworks and been like 20 years ago, you know, I didn't subscribe to this religious thing, but you were the one that walked me through X, Y, Z, you know? And I think that having the, having the ability to, as you're walking through pain in life and hurt and discombobulation and identity crisis, if you cannot throw it all out with the bathwater, you know what I mean? Don't, don't say, well, it was all a loss. It was all a mess. It was all for nothing. Cause it wasn't, there was goodness sown into the humanity of the world whether you were doing it for a cause that later in life, you're going to realize what in the actual was I putting my name on, you know, there still was goodness because if you're still sowing into other people and caring for other people, that is ministry. You know what I mean? Like, and because people always say that to me, you know, God's not done with you yet, Heather. <laughs> like you're like incredible. You're going to do, and I'm like, you know what? I don't even need to have that language around it because as a human that wants to see human flourishing and i'm borrowing that speaking of not plagiarizing from josh scott who i hear say that all the time you know who's a pastor out in nashville you guys know him from grace point he says their their whole premise of their church is to be about human flourishing does it help humanity to grow and succeed and learn and be good and feel loved or is it demeaning or you know oppressing I want that to be my life too. I want to know that when I'm gone from this earth in the in the form in which I'm on it, did I leave space for people to feel known, to feel seen, to feel loved, not to convert to something, you know, not to think the way I think, believe what I believe, whatever, but just to, whenever you can interact with a human, you can either leave them with a good taste in their mouth to have a better day, right? Or you can leave them with a bad taste in their mouth. So who are we being? And so I think that's what I would tell people is to hold on that you're going to find your community, whether it's through things like this, like recovery, just getting a discord, you know, it's some people might think, oh, that's not like they're all over the country. No, people have like literally jumped in there and there's, I've seen there's conversations that are like life-saving, it feels like, you know, because you just know, oh, I'm not alone. But I would say that don't gloss over it, <laughs> you know, keep fighting for what you believe. And hey, even for those people that are in ministry that see all of this crap and they feel like I might be the next on the chopping block for these kind of stories. You also don't need to feel any shade about being in there. If you're still in that position, if that's the journey place that you're at, where you feel like you're still on the inside making a difference. I mean, I feel like I want to run over to you and give you a life preserver and get you the hell out of there. But that's my opinion. You might still feel like I have work to still do. And until I, as a person feel a different place that I, I want to be, I'm going to be there and be there with authenticity, be there with integrity, be there as yourself, then that matters in the world. You know, that's what I would tell people. You're There's only one me. Well, who said that? Woody Allen, is he the one that says that? I woke up today and I decided to be myself because no one else could. You know, we all have, we all have, this sounds so sing-songy, preachy, but it's so true. Like there's, we all are only one person on this planet able to, you know, 
contribute to however we're contributing and we we get to choose we're the only those people don't actually have power of me that's the other thing i would tell people if they were going to go through this situation or in a similar boat to me i would say those people don't have as much power over you as you think they do and there's freedom on the other side of you recognizing that because they have to sleep at night with their own thoughts right so i don't need to go and prove to anyone that this plagiarism thing happened or that i was fired, you know, under not healthy circumstances, whatever. I don't have to actually say that. I can, and I can bring attention to it, but for my own sanity, I don't have to say that because there's freedom on the other side of knowing that for a lot of years, I gave not just this church, but evangelical ministry and leaders above me, I gave them a lot of power over my life. And I now I'm taking the power back. So Sarah, earlier you asked, like, what am I seeing myself coming to for the future? That's really it. And it's not just in my vocation or my passions, but it's in my relationships and who I am in this world. Like I'm taking the power back, you know, to, to be the best me. Cause that's all I, that's all I get to be <laughs> on the, in this planet, you know? And so, well, yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, for being willing to hop on here. I know that you are starting a, a coaching business. Is there anything else you'd want people to know about you? Like for them to be able to find you? I mean, I'm I'm on Instagram and Facebook, the the old school, you know, socials, but not that often. But they can find me under the the Heather Sanford as opposed to like the regular Heather Sanford. I don't know, but that's my handles. And yeah, hopefully someday I can find HeatherSanford.com because I already own it. I've owned it for like 10 years. I've just never made it a website. But look for it to come soon because yeah, I am starting a co- coaching business right now. So yeah, would love to connect with anyone. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Love you much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're enjoying the conversations you hear on recovery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in what's known as the recovery room on Discord. To access our Discord, please join our Patreon to be a part of this community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and that gives you access to the community resources as well as it helps us to be able to produce the show. Check it out on patreon.com slash revcovery. Now we know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are so many ways you can support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you are currently listening, and make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Revcovery Room is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And that's our handle. So come find us and let's keep the conversation going. On to some final thoughts and this week's poem. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to that wonderful conversation. We love Heather very much and we hope that you've found a new friend as well. Near the end here, we always end with a quote or a poem or something just to get us thinking a little bit about our journey and where we're at and some things that we're trying to ponder I'm actually going to do two quotes from Carl Jung, or Jung, if you want to be fancy. And one is a warning, I suppose, and one is an invitation. And and I think these fit very much with Heather's story and some things that we, Sarah and I have also experienced, and I think what a lot of you have experienced too. Um, and so I'll say the first one is this. People will do anything, no matter how absurd, to avoid facing their own souls. I think this is true for me. It's true for a lot of people I've run into in life, that we will do anything to avoid facing the truth about us. And so I just would encourage you to look at that in yourself. Look at that in the people you've run into. 
what are some behaviors that you've seen of people running from facing the truth and and how that impacts those around them so that's the warning here's the invitation though the privilege of a lifetime is to become who you truly are you know to me that's the work that's the uh, magnum opus if you will that's where that's where it's at to become who we truly are but to do that we have to do that absurd work of facing ourselves and so my invitation to you would be to look at all the places that you've run away from you but also to count it a privilege to become who you truly are thanks have a great week